Morning, everybody. What is wrong with control freaks? I what? <laughs> I did not anticipate that. Why? Why are they the way they are? Like you're not a control freak, and I'm not a control freak. What is up with these control freaks? What is their deal? Uh, let me give you a couple of traits. I looked this up. Uh, the traits of a control freak. Uh, there's a number of them. I'm going to give you just a couple. All right. Well, first of all, they have a strong urge to correct. Like they have this urge to correct. They just can't stop themselves. You know, they want to, they want to correct you want to say, no, that was good, but let me show, or that was terrible. Let me just give it a little bit more. So they can be judgmental. They can be critical. Like in the Bible, Peter, the leader of Jesus' disciples, definitely a control freak. Okay. So he makes this famous statement about Jesus. And then a few minutes later, after this famous statement, he starts, it says, rebuking Jesus. Jesus, you're wrong. I, I mean, come on now, man. It's just this, this, first of all, this is not something that you do to your rabbi that you're following. But when your rabbi is actually God, it's even worse. He is a control freak. And here's the second thing. It's their way or the highway. Like, I'm not that way. You're not that way. But control freaks are that way. It's got to be their way. They got to have their way. There's a story about this guy in the Bible. I think it's in Second uh, Kings. His name is King Ahab. He's married to Queen Jezebel. Uh, both of them quite famous. She more famous than he. But one day he wanted a garden right outside of his palace. It wasn't owned by him. It was owned by somebody else. And because he couldn't get his way, he started pouting around. It's a terrible story because Queen Jezebel actually kills the guy to get the garden. But the point is, he had to have his way. And because he couldn't have his way, he started pouting. You know anybody that does it? Don't raise your hand. You know anybody that does that, that just starts pouting when they can't get their way? I worked with somebody many, many years ago. This is before I was a Mac person, before I... Before I had an Apple, you know, and I was using a PC and they were a Mac person. Does anybody know uh, like a cult fan Mac follower? Okay, I see some head shaking. All right. So this person was that and I wasn't ready to make the jump. This is a bunch of years ago and they kept trying to get me. Well, one day I showed up with a PC and they were so mad at me that they didn't get their way. They shunned me. I mean, they shunned me for weeks and weeks. They had to get their way. That's a control freak. A control freak has to win every discussion and argument, and they always got to get that last word in there. You ever in a relationship with somebody, like you have this thing going on, and it's just like you're ready to let it stop and walk away, and they just got to get that last word in there, right? I'm not that way. You're not that way, but control freaks are that way. What makes them that way? Well, the Bible says it goes down really deep. Like the root of it goes down really, really deep. Inside of, actually, it says all of us. Now, it comes out in different ways, right? Because all of us have a different temperament. We all have like different experiences, and that plays into it. But deep inside of us, it's saying right from the beginning of the Bible that there's a root inside of us that wants to control things. And the Bible begins with this epic struggle for control. I mean, that's where everything goes wrong with this epic battle to control things. We've talked a lot about Adam and Eve because work-life balance has to do with contentment. And Adam and Eve were in paradise and they were discontent. They just had to have control. They wanted to seize power and they were miserable until they got it. Now, contrast that to the apostle Paul. 
He's in a Roman prison. He has zero control. The Romans were good at that. They took all control away. And he says, I have learned to be content. I have learned. And here's the thing for today. When it comes to control, we all have the desire to control. But what Paul is saying, what the Bible is saying, it's a process. We can learn to kind of give up that control, give up actually the illusion of control because control is not real. There's only an illusion that we can have control. And Paul says, you know what? There's a process. So if you happen to be one of the few control freaks in the room here this morning, there is hope. Because here's the thing, everybody. You know, we're pretty miserable when around control freaks. You know what I'm saying? Has anybody been around like a rabid control freak and it just made you miserable? Would you like to raise your hand on that one? Anybody? It's not the person in the room with you or sitting next to you. So there's no pressure. I've been around control freaks. It is absolutely that person who shunned me. Thank you. You just, oh, you're pointing at somebody. That's even better. Paul says, I have learned, I have learned to do this. Now check this out. This is what God says in Genesis 3.20. It's fascinating. This is what God says about Adam and Eve after they make this failed attempt to seize control. It says, then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have come like, become like us. Now that's God speaking. They become, how? When you think about somebody who's become like God, or better yet, when you think about God, what would describe God? The three things that immediately seem to come to most people's minds are these very uh, important sounding uh, theological words. Omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipresent, everywhere. You can be everywhere. Well, nobody's, they didn't add, God's not saying they became that. So what exactly is God saying they became like? He's saying, they are insisting on being in control. They, they want to be in charge. They want to call all the shots. They want to make all the decisions about life. This is humanity's quest right from the beginning, right from the start. That's why the root goes around very deep. God says, here's the first thing I need you to know. You're going to have this desire for control and you're going to have to battle with it because you're never going to find work-life balance until you deal with this illusion of control. Now, many of us, I've asked this question. I've heard it asked a million times. Why can't we have control? Why can't we call the shots? Like, you're a good person, aren't you? Of course you are. You're a great person. You're a good person. Why can't you call the shots if you're so good? I'm a good person, I think. Maybe I'm a good person. Why can't we just call the shots? Why do we need God coming in with the Bible and all this stuff telling us what to do? We're all good people. Think about this. Uh, NFL season is kicking off, isn't it? Anybody an NFL fan here? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. What's your favorite team? Just shout it out. Mm, I heard somebody say Cowboys, and I can't tell you how that upsets me so much. Okay. What if we said, what if we said, you know, we're going to save some money in the NFL. We're going to get rid of all the referees and we're going to let the home team coach call the penalties. Huh? That's total chaos. You'd never end an NFL game, right? There would be bloodshed on the field. It just wouldn't work. Why? Because you can't have somebody in the game on the field calling shots. It just is nonsensible, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't make any rational sense. You got to have somebody outside impartial calling the shots. It's just so practical why God needs to come down from up here outside of time and space, outside of the game, not on the playing field, and impartially call the shots. 
And so God so graciously in his love has come down and revealed the things that are going to help us in life and particularly for today in work-life balance, okay? When we have this need for control that the Bible says is deep down inside of all of us, right? It's just there. We love it. That feeling of power. Control gives us a feeling of power. It throws us off balance and we need something to throw us back on balance. Now, enter this amazing book of Ecclesiastes and it's telling us, I want to help you. God is not like, God wants to help us. God wants to rescue us by giving us a meaning filled life. Now, I want to remind you of something that we've been saying for the past couple weeks. This book primarily was written by an older, wiser person who is speaking to people in their teens and their 20s. And he's saying something really important. And he says it so clearly at the very end of the book, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Look what this says. It's so good. Remember your creator. Okay. Remember the person Outside of the game, the impartial person who loves you outside of the game. Remember your creator while you're young, before the bad times come, before the years come when you say, see that? I have wasted my life. God does not want you to ever, ever feel that way or say that. I have wasted my life. And so what this is, is I'm trying to rescue that from you. So you got to shift your focus off of control, which is run down deep inside all of us to something far more important. And that is a meaning filled life. And God is saying, I'm going to show you the very short list of things that you need to focus on. Shift the focus off of control and on to meaning and on this very short list of items here. Pour yourself into that. So what we see here in Ecclesiastes is it is striking a powerful blow at the root of the illusion of control. Check it out how it does this. It's so good. Ecclesiastes 7.15. In this meaningless life of mine, in this meaningless life, it is just constantly juxtaposing this whole thing. First it shows meaningless, 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 and then it gets to the good stuff. Right? In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. What? What are you talking about? If you're righteous, if you're good, if you're following God's ways, things are supposed to go great. Like, why did I get into this thing in the first place if not to control the outcomes in my life? Isn't that why I'm following the Bible? He's like, no, that's not going to work. It's an illusion control. You're not into this for control. You're into this for something else. Well, isn't this, isn't this... Dude, you're wearing the t-shirt today. Jesus makes my life better. You just told us in the last series that Jesus is going to make my life better. How can you get up here now and say, it's not going to make your life better? Here's the thing. Here's what Ecclesiastes and all of Ecclesiastes wisdom is saying. Jesus will make your life better. 100% make your life better, but not through control, through meaning through meaning. And that's far more important. And it's the meaning that will always pull us back. This is how Jesus does. This is the secret that Paul learned in prison. I have learned the secret to being content. Contentment is such a great thing. Paul says godliness and contentment is great gain. Now check this out. Ecclesiastes uh, 7 and 8. 8, 7 and 8. This is what it says. Since no one knows the future, Who can tell someone else what is to come? 
As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. You know what I'm saying? We have no control. Any thought that you're in control of the outcomes in your life is all an illusion. And he's just striking this blow at this because we have such a desire to control things. Charles Swindoll, he's a pastor out in California. He's retired now, but he uh, said this many years ago famously. The only thing you can control is your reaction to the things you can't control. The only thing you can control is your reaction to the things you can't control. That, my friends, is excellent. Now, let's take a look at another verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse number 14. Here we go. Let's see. Does this remind you of anything we've just heard very recently in chapter 7? We follow it up in chapter 8, and lo and behold, there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This, too, is meaningless. In other words, no control. We just said that in Ecclesiastes 7. I didn't like it the first time you said it in chapter 7. Why do you have to rub it in and say it again? I, you know, I'm being good and I'm praying and following Jesus so that I can control the outcome. So my prayers can be answered. And now you're just telling me right here again for the second time, back to back chapters. You don't have control. It's all an illusion. A number of years ago. Um, I, 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 I grew a beard. I have a goatee now, but I grew a beard. And I, I did it while I was away on vacation. And so I didn't see my mom for, I don't know, came back and I didn't see her right away. So it was like three weeks. Oh boy, man, I, I, had, a, I had a full, it's hard for me to grow a beard, but I had like a full beard, you know what I'm saying? And she hadn't seen it. I hadn't told her. Nobody had told her. And so I opened the door at my house and she saw me and she screamed. Ah! And she covered her eyes. She said, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. And then she picked her head up and she looked at me and she says, it's even worse the second time. It's even worse the second time. I hate it so much. This is even worse the second time. You had to say it the first time and now you've got to say it again that we have no control even if we're following God. It's so frustrating. Why do we have to say that? Okay. All right. Okay. Let's look at the next verse. What's it? 8.17. Look at this. No one. <laughs> this is so tough, everybody. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. No, we can't comprehend it. It's just too much. This world, this world is just too under the sun. This universe, it's just so complex. It's so complex. We can't understand it. Despite all their efforts to search it out. No one can discover its meaning, even if the wise claim they know. Even the wise, if they claim to know, they cannot really comprehend it. Look, there's something inside of us. Again, that power of control is intoxicated. It feels good. Like, I'm right. My way. Me. I've got it. I've got it figured out. I've got the way figured out. It's my belief. It's my doctrine. It's my way. Or it's my group or my people or my church or my party. We've got it, man. We've got it. It's us. It's us. You know what? Einstein, Einstein, pretty smart guy, said something very fascinating about his theory of relativity. I should think about this and think about how humbling this is. Einstein said that his theory theory of relativity is not perfect. He said it's closer to perfect than Isaac Newton's, but it's not perfect. And anybody who suggests or pretends to have a theory that explains the universe, that theory is imperfect or it does not explain this universe. It's very humbling. In other words, Einstein realized something. 
Only God can fully have the right. You know what I'm saying? And we're on a quest. I've, I've been in, I've, I've been in church. I like, I say this, I was birthed on a pew. I've been in church all my life. And there's this feeling like, oh man, you know, I know there's a lot of churches, but my church or my denomination or my way or my philosophy or my belief or my theology, whatever is the right way. I don't know what all you other people are doing, but this is the right way. And Ecclesiastes says, no, let me tell you something really humbling. You can't figure it all out until Jesus stands up here on this stage and preaches a sermon for himself. You will never hear perfect theology, but we have a passionate pursuit to learn more and more and more and more because that's what God has called us to do. So it's really humbling. It really takes us down a notch and it is so important, but that feeling of control just wants to rise up and say, yeah, I got it right. And we have to reject that in all of us, right? Ecclesiastes is highlighting that control freaks have this tendency to move towards a life, a life of controlled outcomes. And it's trying to say, you need to shift your focus to something else. Now let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter nine. This is what it says. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant. This is all about controlled outcome or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. I mean, aren't I aren't I going to church and praying and studying and trying to live a Jesus life to take time and chance out of the equation? If you're a radical control freak this morning, this is really causing some problems because it causes problems with me. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. All of it is an illusion of control. So since we can't stand on a firm foundation of control, we have to figure out what it is the Bible is moving us towards so that we can have this radically meaning-filled work-life balance of a life, right? Why did I become a Christian in the first place? Did I become a Christian on some level in some way so that I can control the outcomes of my life? Or am I looking for something else? I'll say it again. If we're around control freaks, if I'm a control freak, I'm miserable. And there's probably a pretty good chance I'm gonna make everybody miserable around me as well. The Bible is saying that the world is radically complex. Now, there's always this big debate about, well, is everything happening in the world God's will? And then something terrible happens. We're like, oh, that, well, I guess that was God's will. I don't know. But, you know, there's this famous prayer in the Bible. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father who art in heaven. There's a line in there that says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's a battle God is saying that his will is not being done on this earth, but there's a way for it to happen. And it's not through control. It's through something that is far more powerful than control that will actually bring my life back in balance and will give me the foundation that I need to stand on. And this is what I want to talk about now. And you can see this whole idea comes really clear when Jesus there right before he's crucified the night before he's in this garden. He's like, oh, God, father. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to the cross. And then he says this line, not my will, but thy will be done. He's giving us, our savior, this example of giving up the illusion of control and saying, God, let your will be done. Now, check out this statement that I've got. Jesus isn't helping us build controlled lives. 
It's not happening. And it seems to work its way into our thinking, our belief, and even our theology a lot of times. But Ecclesiastes is just striking this hard blow at that. Trying to build a controlled life is going to lead to misery for you and everybody around you. Jesus is trying to do something very, very different. Um, UCLA did this huge study on uh, marriage, marriages, married couples. Did this huge study on, on married couples. And here's what they found. They found that if a married couple had wealth and health and they got all the things they wanted, in other words, life was turning out the way they wanted, uh, their, their ideas, their thoughts, were, it was being controlled because life was just like, man, they were the envy of everybody because things were turning out really well, had no significant impact whatsoever on their happiness. They found out that only one thing impacted in a significant way a couple's happiness in life. And do you know what that was? Adaptability. Can you adapt when things don't turn out as you want? And that was the one thing, the one equation in their life, in their life, that they found happiness. How about you? Can you do that? When things don't turn out the way you want them to turn out, are you flexible enough to say, okay, Because that is the one thing that science has shown us with all the data that they put into this research that leads to a happy life. Are you that way? Are you flexible? Are you adaptable? Or are you bent on control? Having the desire for control will lead you to unhappiness. Being flexible and adaptable and going with the flow, so to speak, will lead you to happiness, controlled lives or miserable lives. Now, let me give you the other side of this statement right here. Jesus is actually helping us to build meaning-filled lives. There's a big difference between control-filled lives and meaning-filled lives. Jesus is saying, I need you to shift your focus. This is what the secret is that Paul learned while he was in that Roman prison. It is who God is. I got to focus on who God is, the things we've been talking about, the things that Paul talks about as he's in, in prison in Philippians, where he writes about his time in this Roman prison, that God is good, that God is gracious, that God is compassionate. And I'm going to focus on being good and gracious and forgiving and compassionate while I sit here in this Roman prison. And that is how I'm going to learn through a process to build a meaning-filled life. It's a shift in focus. The shift is not to control. The shift is towards meaning and the short list of things that God reveals to us to have them. This is how it works. Am I willing to do that? Control equals the outcomes I want. Meaning equals being. And we've talked about this mindfulness, the very things that God reveals. It's a big shift in our focus. Meaning, meaning is the only thing that has the power to bring us back when we're out of control of work-life balance. And we're always going to get out of control of work-life balance, particularly if you live in Washington, D.C. You're going to swing like things are terrible. And then you're going to swing this way, right? Over here, things are great. And you're just going to swing. Well, what is that power that's going to swing you back to the balance that you're actually looking for? It's meaning and it's not control. Anybody ever been bungee jumping? Anybody ever tried it? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. I'm not brave enough to try bungee jumping, but my daughter did to talk me into, we were down at King's Dominion. They have this massive giant swing. Like it, you get on, you lay down, like you're going to be Superman, right? And it pulls you way, 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 way up here. And then all of a sudden they release you. And I mean, you go screaming, 
hurtling down. And you get in, and, and it's when you kind of get to the bottom and you start to curl up to the top, you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, what if we just fly off into outer space? You know, what's going what's to pull me back? You know, what's going to pull you back? There is an anchor at the top. And as long as you have an anchor at the top that holds you back, it's going to pull you back into balance. What is that anchor? The Bible says it's Jesus. Why is it Jesus? Because Jesus reveals to us in the flesh through his teachings the short list of things that we need to focus on that are proven to bring us meaning in our life. We have to have that anchor. That anchor is not control. That anchor is meaning. And we have to shift our focus towards living meaning-filled lives. And here's what Ecclesiastes says. Don't waste your life. I mean, we're going to be so tempted to wasting our lives and then looking back. Don't do that. If you're young, if you're in your teens or your 20s or your 30s, my goodness, focus on meaning. You're going to be so glad when you're 60 and 70 because those are the things that are going to be the firm foundation that you can stand on, not the illusion of control. I'm going to end with this verse. This is a great verse in the Bible. It's a famous verse, actually. This is what it says. It's from Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a very famous verse. Have you ever done that before? I want to encourage you something. There's something very interesting with this verse about confessing Jesus with your mouth, confessing. that What that's saying is it's a process that begins. You're beginning a process of building a life towards meaning and moving away from control. You know what's fascinating, everybody? At the beginning of this famous chapter of Romans chapter 10, you know what it says? It says there were people who kept, notice the, notice the language, they kept clinging to their own way. They kept clinging to their own way. And they were miserable. They kept clinging to their own way. And this is, this is what this famous verse is saying to us. I mean, maybe you've heard it in all kinds of ways, but... Paul sets it up really well in the beginning. Here's what it really is. Is you are stepping out of that illusion of control. And when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you are stepping into pursuing a life, the only life that can bring meaning. Who wouldn't want? Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to build their life on something far better than an illusion that none of us have? But we know this for a fact. There is meaning. We can have it. You can have it. You do not have to look back on your life later and say, I wasted my life. You don't have to be like, oh, I wonder if I do this or this. No, 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 no. Whatever you do, if you do this short list of things that Jesus Christ talks about, you can look back on your life and say, my life was a meaning-filled life. Now, I want to encourage you this morning. And if you've never done that, Ecclesiastes is saying, come on, do that. That's what it means. When you confess Christ as your Lord, you said, I am moving in this process towards meaning. And I want to encourage you to do that this morning. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And then after the service, I'm going to be down front if anybody wants to pray. But I want to encourage you in your own words, in your own way. Man, when you speak it out, when you speak it in your heart to God, that begins the most amazing process in your life. You are, you are charting your course toward a meaningful life. Our prayer team is going to be right over here. We'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. 
this is a big moment. It's where meaning begins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that in a world that is so complex that you have stepped in from outside the game and you have revealed to us this short list of things that is now so proven to be true. You have revealed to us where our focus should be. It should be on meaning. God, for every single person in this room right now that we are confessing you as I am doing all over again right now, confessing you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. As all of us do that, Jesus, lead us in this amazing and beautiful process of building a meaningful life because you, Jesus, are the Lord of our lives. In Christ's name, amen.